In 2013, a tugboat sank into the ocean off of the Nigerian coast. Eventually, it came to its new resting place 100 feet below the water. A team of divers was called in to recover the bodies of the 12 crew members who had gone down on the boat. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for those divers as they found the bodies of those poor sailors. Well, after a while, one of the divers, he saw a hand floating in the water, and it was going to be the fifth body they recovered from the wreck that day. But when he reached for that hand, you can imagine his surprise when that hand reached back for him. A recovery operation became a rescue operation as they found that the boat's cook, Harrison Akeen, had survived. For over 60 hours, Harrison survived in a small pocket of air inside the capsized ship. The whole time, all he had for himself was the sound of sea creatures in the water around him and the words of scripture that he had recently read running through his mind. He thought about his wife as he waited to die alone at the bottom of the ocean. Then, unexpectedly and miraculously, rescue came. He survived. He was reunited with his wife who had been told that he was dead, and he vowed never to go back to the ocean again. Years later, his story was featured in a National Geographic documentary, and in it you can hear him share some of his story. And as part of that story, you'll find that despite his previous vow never to go back to the sea, he has had a change of heart. Now he is training to become a diver in the hopes that one day he would be able to rescue someone like the divers who rescued him. Harrison O'Keen, he has a captivating story, doesn't he? I mean, if that was our story, we, we would share that with other people, wouldn't we? We'd probably become divers too, so that maybe we could rescue some people. I mean, wouldn't it be incredible to have a story of rescue like that? Well, I want all of us to remember this morning that as Christians, we have a far greater rescue story. While none of us may ever be rescued from the ocean, surviving on a little air and a single bottle of Coca-Cola like Harrison did, we have all been rescued from a fate far worse. Because the Bible says that all of us were on a broad path in life, headed towards an eternity, separated from God in a place of fiery torment called hell. And then we met Jesus. We heard about his death, his resurrection, about the forgiveness of sin and the pardon from hell that he offers. We put our faith in him, and in that moment, our eternal destiny was changed forever. Hmm. Believers, that's a story of rescue. And it's a story that we need to tell people. In fact, our rescue from hell should motivate us to see other people rescued as well. This morning, we're going to turn together, if you have your Bibles, to John chapter 4. And I encourage you to turn there to John chapter 4. As we're in John chapter 4, we are going to see one of the ways that we can lead people to the only one who can rescue their soul, and that's Jesus Christ. And believers, that way is to tell your story of rescue to others. 
John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's a lot more of the story for us to see, but we have to stop here for just a second because there is something amazing that I want us to see about Jesus right here in these verses that we've read. First, a little background on the centuries-long division between the Jews and the Samaritans. Long before this moment that we are reading about here, there was a period of time where the Jews who were living in Samaria intermarried with Gentiles who moved in and lived among them. As a result, the worship of those Jews became distorted because of the pagan influences that those Gentiles brought with them. This mixed race of Jews and their improper worship of God quickly became despised, and they were negatively called Samaritans by the rest of the Israelites. And these two groups, the Jews, the Israelites, and the Samaritans, they hated each other. In fact, they hated each other so much that if you wanted to travel from Judea to Galilee, the most direct route was right through Samaria. But most Jews, they avoided that at all costs. In fact, they would choose one of the longer routes, along the coastal road or the other side of the Jordan, whatever they could to avoid being near those Samaritans. But not Jesus. Jesus strolls right through Samaria. He had to. There were people there that needed him, people that he needed to talk to. And he started with this Samaritan woman. But as you can probably piece together by now, Jews and Samaritans didn't talk to each other. They didn't like each other. They didn't associate with one another. Not only that, but Jewish men typically did not talk to women in public. In addition to that, rabbis did not associate with immoral women, which we will find to be the case with this woman at the well. But again, here's Jesus, aware of all these things going straight to Samaria to talk to a poor lost sinner. What we see about Jesus here in these verses is that Jesus isn't just the Savior of the well-respected like Nicodemus, which we saw in recent weeks, but he's also the Savior of the outcast too. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I, I love this story in John chapter 4. This is the story of how a woman living in sexual immorality and in spiritual confusion met the Savior of the world. And it all began with a conversation just about water. How many times this woman must have gone to that well to draw up water and carry it home just to do the same thing over again later? See, that's the thing about water. It can only satisfy us for a little while. Eventually, we'll be right back at the same well. What a fitting picture. This woman came to the well to get water to fill her thirst, and in other areas of her life, she was trying to fill it with pleasure and acceptance. She was chasing after relationships, but none of these things were bringing satisfaction either. And isn't it interesting that as people, that's what we do in life? Many people, we try and satisfy ourselves with things, with food and drink, sin, sexual morality, with money and pleasure, but it's never enough, it never satisfies. It's always on to the next thrill. Our hearts were made to be filled, but the sad thing is people, many of us, we're filling our hearts with the wrong things. And then there's Jesus. Jesus gives us living water. When we put our faith in him, we receive a forgiveness that will never run dry, a relationship with God that will never end, an eternal life that will never fade away. When we receive salvation, we receive true and eternal life. We receive living water, and we find the fullest and deepest of satisfactions. But you see, like the Samaritan woman, we first have to acknowledge our sin. We have to recognize that we need him. Only when we see our sinful state and our need for our Savior, only when we see just how desperately parched our soul is, can we partake in the living water that Jesus offers. This woman, she was chasing after all the wrong things, and she knew that. 
She also knew that a Savior was coming. It took her a while to realize that that's who was sitting there asking her for a drink of water. This was her story in John chapter 4. A woman living in sin, moving through the motions of life, unsatisfied, worshiping God all the wrong ways, trying to earn his favor, dreaming of the day that the Messiah would finally come. She just never dreamed that she would meet him at Jacob's well. But she did. She was confronted with her sin, and she was standing in front of the only one who could forgive her. That was her story. What's your story, believer? What was your life like before you met Jesus Christ? What was that moment like when you were introduced to him, when you put your faith in him? What's he done in your life since then? And when was the last time you shared that with anybody? Let's see what the Samaritan woman did after she met Jesus. Look at verse 27. It says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So, what was the first thing that she did after she met Jesus? She rushed into the town to tell the people about this conversation she just had. We're not told the state of her heart or what was going through her mind, but many believe that this reaction of the Samaritan woman shows that she had believed in Jesus and the words that he spoke. But the first thing I want us to recognize that she did was to go and tell people her experience. And you'll notice that it wasn't a long story, what she told them. It wasn't filled with, with drama. It was her story of meeting the Savior of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I take a lot of encouragement from her story. I want to share with you why I personally take encouragement from her story. I take encouragement from her story because my story of salvation and faith in Jesus, what we commonly refer to as Christians as our testimony, mine is not one that I would describe as filled with gripping drama. No, I, I grew up in a household where my parents faithfully taught their kids the truths of God. I'll be forever grateful to them for that. In fact, I believe I've learned more about God and the Bible from my parents than any college professor, Bible teacher, or church preacher has ever taught me. And because of their faithfulness, when I was only five years old, I understood that I was a sinner. I did bad things. I disobeyed my parents. I was mean to my siblings. I lied. See, I knew that I had sinned, that only Jesus could forgive me. And save me from hell. So at that age, with my mom by my side, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior. He's been with me ever since. Through every high and every low, every success and every failure. When I needed direction, he gave me guidance. When I went through difficult times, he gave me comfort. And he's forgiven me every time I've strayed from him. And you see, for many years, I felt that because my story wasn't dramatic, it didn't have these big cliffhangers, that because of all these things, it wasn't really worth sharing with other people. I felt that way for a long time. Eventually, I began to realize that no matter what struggles or depths of sin Christ saved us from, we who believe in him 
We've all been rescued from the same eternal punishment. I wasn't an alcoholic, drug-addicted five-year-old when I met Jesus. But I was still a sinner headed for an eternity in hell. Then he saved me. Believers, that's, that's worth sharing when we've been rescued. My story is not long, but neither is the Samaritan woman's story. I take encouragement from that. The result of her sharing her simple story is that people decided to check Jesus out for themselves. That's why we share our testimony, our story of faith. It's to point people to Jesus. So that through sharing our story, we might have those opportunities to share gospel truth with those who are lost like we once were. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples said to each other, could, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus now opens the eyes of his disciples to the great work that they're being called to as his followers. He tells them to open their eyes and realize that the, the fields, they're ripe for the harvest, that hearts are ready to receive the good news of salvation. We just need to go and tell them. Notice in the story how the Samaritans, they were eager to go and check Jesus out. Their hearts were prepared. They were hungry for truth, for answers, for the only one who could satisfy their soul. They just needed someone to point them in the right direction. And the Samaritan woman did that with her simple testimony. Keep in mind, too, she did that without ever being commanded to witness to them. It was just the natural inclination of her heart. Believers, we have been commanded to share the gospel with others. Is it the natural inclination of our hearts? Why should we share our story, our testimony with other people? Because the fields are ripe, believers. There are people all around us in all of our lives just waiting to hear the truth. And one simple way that we can point them to Jesus is to share with them how Jesus rescued us. Many times that will open up a door to share the gospel truth about how they can be rescued too. How Jesus died on the cross for their sins. How he powerfully rose from the dead. And how he will forgive and save them if they'll come to him in faith. There's a story of a Baptist missionary who traveled up the Amazon River and she came to a place where she was able to gather a small group of kids and she started teaching them about Jesus. Now she was teaching these little kids about Jesus. An old man wandered by and decided to listen in. And he heard as she told them this amazing truth about God's gift of salvation and forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. When she was done and the kids started to disperse, the old man came up to her and asked if this was true. She said that it is. The old man told her, 
This is the first time I've ever heard in my life that faith in Jesus brings forgiveness and eternal life. But this can't be true. Or else someone would have come and told us sooner. He said, I'm old now. My parents, they lived their lives. They passed away without ever knowing this. It, it can't be true. Or someone would have come sooner. And despite her best efforts to talk to the man, eventually he wandered back into the jungle saying the same thing over and over. It can't be true. It can't be true. Or someone would have come sooner. Believers, the fields are ripe. But we have a story to share. So what are we waiting for? Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The woman's simple testimony, he told me everything I ever did, that was enough to pique the curiosity of the town. They went to Jesus and many of them believed in him too. Her faithfulness to share her simple story resulted in many lost people coming to Christ. And our story can change lives too, believers by pointing people to the only one who can save them, by pointing people to the Savior of the world. It's amazing how simple sharing our testimony can be. It's amazing how our story can result in gospel opportunities, how many times even hard hearts are willing to listen to our personal story. This year, we began as a church with a commitment to reach someone in 2021 with the good news of the gospel. Just a few weeks into that commitment, I got a phone call from a church member. And this church member told me that she decided to share her story with her neighbor, somebody that she's been neighbors with for years. She felt like the Lord was laying it on her heart, and she started to share her story of salvation, all the things Jesus had done in her life, and how, as a result of that, that neighbor came to the place where they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it all began with a believer who decided to faithfully share their story of rescue. Believers, maybe you're here today and you, you want to share your testimony, but you're unsure how, what that looks like, what you're supposed to say. If that's you, if that's where you're at, I encourage you to come back tonight at 6 p.m. and during our normal Bible study time, because we're going to have another evangelism training night here at the church. One of our deacons, Doug Largent, is going to take us through several things, including how to share your testimony with other people. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I know how to share my testimony, but I don't know where to go. I don't know how to do that. Well, remember, next Saturday we're having this Arts, Crafts, and Food Festival. It's going to be an opportunity for you to interact with people from the community. It's going to be a great way for you to share your story with people when you meet them here on the church campus. But I want to encourage each of you believers here this morning with this. Believers, tell your story of rescue so that people can hear about the one who wants to rescue them. Tell your story of rescue so that people can hear about the one who wants to rescue them. 
FBCO, the fields are ripe. It's time for us to get out into the harvest together. If Jesus is your Savior, you already have a story worth sharing. It's time to tell your story. If you're joining us this morning here on campus, maybe you're joining us online or on the radio, and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, I just want to say that I don't know your story. I don't know anything about it. But if Jesus is not your Savior, I can tell you how your story is going to end. Because the Bible is very clear that all of us have sinned. And the Bible says that it's appointed each of us once to die and then the judgment. In other words, one day you and I will die and we will stand before God. And if Jesus is not your Savior, the Bible is very clear that when you stand before God, He will see all the sins you have committed. And because God is just, holy, and righteous, He will punish your sin. And the only just punishment is that you'll be sent away from Him forever into a place called hell. But that doesn't have to be the end of your story. Because you see, the Bible says that in His great love for me and you, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, this earth. And Jesus lived a perfect life, and at the end of that life, willingly died on the cross. Because Jesus is perfect, He could be our substitute. When He died on the cross, He took the wrath, the punishment that you and I deserve for sin. After He died, He powerfully and miraculously rose from the dead, proving that He's the Savior and the Son of God. And now He stands in heaven waiting to offer you the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll receive eternal life. The end of your story won't be one where you're separated from God forever and how. Instead, you'll enter into His presence forever. The question is, will you put your faith in Him? I pray that you would. I want you to know that you can do that right now. Would you pray with me? If you're here today and you've never made that decision, but you're finally ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know you can do it wherever you are. Wherever you're located right now, I want you to know you can do that no matter what's going on in your life, that Jesus Christ will hear you, He'll forgive you, and He'll save your soul. You can pray something simple like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you died on the cross for my sins. Believe that you didn't stay in the grave that you rose from the dead. Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins and to be my Savior. I'm giving you my life. I'm ready to be all yours. And friend, if you prayed that, I hope that you'll share it with someone so that we can rejoice with you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of the Samaritan woman. Thank you that she shared her story so that we could be reminded that whether or not we feel ours is a gripping story of salvation, it's always a story worth sharing. Because the truth is you saved us from a terrible fate in hell when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And I prayed that we would be emboldened to tell our story to others so that we could point them to the only one who can rescue them, and that's Jesus Christ. The fields are ripe. Open our eyes, fathers, to the believer's Father, that are all around us. To see the gospel opportunities that are there. Help us to be faithful to tell our story and to tell the great news of what Jesus has done for them. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.